Principle five, make intentional decisions. The decisions that will change your life. What if I told you that the difference between the successful life you dream of and one of the most devastating lives you could possibly imagine was shaped from only a handful of decisions? I believe it's between five and 10 key decisions that determine your legacy. That might sound inspiring to you or it might sound terrifying. But the purpose we're craving in our personal lives and in our work can be shaped and marked by just a few key decisions. Think about it. Who you choose to partner with or marry. The choice to take the easy route or the path of integrity. The quick fix or the long haul. Speaking your truth or holding your breath. Asking for what you need or pretending to be fine living in community and choosing to be seen, to take a risk or to stay the same. This might seem shocking to you or even unbelievable, but I promise it's true. And it's why intentional decision-making is key for good entrepreneurs. Let's take a look at a couple of key decisions that determined the legacy of three individuals. Sometimes the outcomes of these decisions take decades to manifest themselves. And my friend, Patrick Shun Xiong, is a perfect example of this. He owns the Los Angeles Times, is part owner of the LA Lakers, and has a portfolio of incredible companies. Although he enjoys the finer things in life now, his start in life was very different. He grew up in South Africa under apartheid and had to fight to be the first non-white doctor admitted to a whites-only medical school. He and his wife immigrated to North America with only a few thousand dollars and followed his passion of medical research. In 1985, Soon Chiang was trying to pioneer transplanting cells from pigs to humans when he discovered a virus in the pigs that could harm the patients. He refused to proceed and was sued by his investors, but later won in arbitration. Fast forward to 2008, and the U.S. supply of the blood thinner heparin became tainted and over 55 people died from these issues. Among other uses, heparin is used during dialysis treatment to prevent the blood from clotting in systems while it's being treated outside the body. Without access to it, most dialysis patients would suffer. During this crisis, Patrick owned APP Pharmaceuticals, one of several suppliers of heparin approved by the Food and Drug Administration. But more importantly, it was the only supplier that could prove their heparin was not tainted. How? because the raw material from heparin comes from pigs. Patrick's experience with pigs two decades prior allowed him to make the intentional decision of owning the entire supply chain, starting with the live pigs to ensure they were virus-free. Despite protests from investors and experts in the industry, he held fast, and his intentional decision was rewarded when he sold APP Pharmaceuticals in July of 2008 to Fresenius SE for $4.6 billion. Since Fresenius was one of the largest dialysis providers in the U.S., they needed to ensure they had access to heparin to continue their work. Patrick provided the answer to their need. And even though he had to wait decades to reap the benefits of his intentional decision, when he finally did, it made him a billionaire. And more importantly, it saved the lives of countless people. Most of us know that Amelia Earhart was the first woman to make a transatlantic flight. But because she was female, she was initially thought to be too frail to be a pilot. So she took a job as a social worker instead. 
but she made the key decision to keep looking for an opportunity to fly. After numerous attempts, she was finally offered the funding for the flight, but there was a catch. She wouldn't fly by herself. Instead, she would go with two men as chaperones. Not only that, but the men would also be paid while she would fly without pay. She could have declined the offer that was well below her ideal, but she made the decision to do what was necessary to keep going. She took the first step, and she didn't wait for the opportunity to be perfect. A few years later, she became the first woman to fly solo nonstop across the Atlantic. And because of that, we still talk about her today. The day she made the decision to say yes changed the course of history and removed a block from the wall of patriarchy. For Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, the first several years of his business were a roller coaster. He knew his idea of building the best running shoes in the world could be great. But first, he had to get through a few days that could have sunk him completely. He writes in his book, Shoe Dog, about one day when several creditors showed up at Nike headquarters looking for answers. Folks, we're going to a code red. This building, this 4,500 square foot building, is about to be swarming with people to whom we owe money. Whatever else we do today, we cannot let any of them bump into each other. Every entrepreneur I know has been in a similar position at some point. Knight continued. If they cross paths in the hall, if one unhappy creditor meets another unhappy creditor, and if they should have a chance to compare notes, they will freak out. They could team up and decide on some sort of collaborative payment schedule, which would be Armageddon. They created a plan assigning a Nike employee to each creditor to keep an eye on them and escort them through the building. Phil had to scurry between creditors trying to find a way to survive another day. In the end, the plan worked. Each creditor walked away committed to keep going. And most importantly, none of them met each other. If those creditors, who were literally feet away from each other, had run into each other on that fateful day, we wouldn't know the name Nike. These decisions determined everything for Patrick, Amelia, and Phil. And they can for you too. Good entrepreneurs have to be aware of the decisions they make. They have to make decisions with purpose and intention. Because I'm here to tell you from personal experience that just a few decisions can determine if you end up in the private plane or the prison cell. What if you knew that you were just a few key decisions away from the life you've most dreamed of or the one you most fear? Wouldn't you take your choices more seriously? Wouldn't you want to have a system for making even the small decisions in your life more intentionally? Wouldn't it give you a little more courage to make the decision you knew was right, even if others disagreed with you? Most of us don't think of our daily decisions this way. Maybe we should. In obituary. Oddly enough, the time most of us spend reflecting on our decisions isn't when we're in the midst of making them. It's when it's all said and done, when we're at the end of the road, that we look back at the choices that have led us to where we've ended up. The average human will live to the age of 73. That means we have over 26,000 days to make decisions that will help us craft a life of meaning. The reason I had you begin to write your obituary in chapter 2 is because an obituary has a way of removing all the static that lives in our head. In the same way that Samuel Johnson said, Depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. My friend Don Miller turned me on to reviewing my obituary, and I can attest it does have a wonderful effect on focusing my head for the day ahead. 
In fact, read any obituary. Although the people who are written about there had thousands of opportunities to make meaningful lives, what's remembered in the end is usually no more than a handful of days. The reality is that most of life is lived in the shadows. People go through the motions of their lives, doing things that will never be seen, much less remembered by anyone else. But your big decisions, as invisible as they are, can and do lead to big moments that everyone remembers in the end. Take, for example, the 11th chapter from the book of Hebrews in the Bible. In it, we find a list of leaders like Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Yep, there's even a sex worker in there. By each of their names, the author lists one thing that person did that defined their lives. One choice they made that changed everything. Decisions we still talk about today. Pretty cool, right? So what choices are going to define you in the end? One day I sat down and opened the paper and came across the New York Times obituary of William Sokolin. The title almost caused me to drop my coffee. William Sokolin, wine seller who broke fame bottle, dies at 85. Of course, I continued reading. The slightest mishap can cause someone to cry over the beer or shed tears over spilled milk. But on April 23, 1989, at the Four Seasons restaurant in Manhattan, nobody could have blamed William Sokolin if he had sobbed over a broken bottle of wine. On that fateful night, Mr. Sokolin accidentally bumped into a metal top tray table and knocked two holes in his historic smoky green bottle. The bottle Mr. Sokolin famously broke that night was a Chateau Margaux that was rumored to have belonged to Thomas Jefferson, and Mr. Sokolin had been hoping to sell it for $519,750. The obituary continued to give additional details of his life, but it also dove into more details of his infamous wine mishap. Mr. Sokolin beat the average human being by living 31,000 days. And the summation of those days was a headline about the day he had one mishap. I'm not saying this to make you feel depressed, but I am wanting you to think about how important your choices are. There are no mistakes in life. There are only decisions and the consequences that stem from them. How many of us can relate to the feeling that one decision might define us forever? The reality is it could happen to any of us. But the way to avoid this is to become intentional about our decisions, to get crystal clear about what our purpose is so that we don't miss a single opportunity to live it out. Sure, we might still make a decision that we have a hard time living down, but when we're clear about our purpose, even our consequences can be used to fulfill it. The truth is we're all one defining decision away from being remembered as the person who sold the bottle of wine for hundreds of thousands of dollars or the person who broke it on the floor of a hotel. I don't know about you, but I want to do everything in my power to make sure I'm the former. When I was in college, I saw a headline in the local paper that read, Three Who Stole Traffic Signs Sentenced to 15 Years. These three friends stole a stop sign and were convicted of manslaughter after a Mack truck smashed into a car and killed three teenagers at the spot where the sign should have been. My heart sunk when I read the article. I thought to myself, how many nights did I spend as a teenager stealing street signs with my friends? Snagging a stop sign gave you top marks in our game. And how easily could those decisions have sent me to the place I was trying to avoid the most? Prison. I don't believe for one minute that you or the other two defendants pulled those signs up with the intent of causing the death of anyone. 
Judge Joe Anderson Mitchum told the defendants. But pulling up the signs has caused ramifications that none of you may have ever expected. Our decisions, big and small, are the difference makers. They have ramifications, for better or for worse, that we may never expect. And because of that, if we want to be good entrepreneurs, we must make decisions with intention. Making the most out of bad decisions. One of the best questions you can ask yourself is this, what do I want to be known for? Your answer to that will help you determine the direction you want to take. It will help you define the decisions you need to make to get there. My friend Mike is full of kindness and generosity and would literally give a stranger the shirt off his back. But he became known to the public for just two days of his life. First, he is famous for being the pitcher that gave up the record-breaking home run, number 756, to Barry Bonds in 2007. Mike is one of the most competitive people I know. Even when we go on vacation together, he's in a rush to be the first to the top of the mountain on a hike. So I know that when he gave up that home run, he was crushed to have had his name sealed in history as the person who lost the battle with Barry Bonds. But if you go back and look at the interviews he gave that night, and even over the next several days, Mike was gracious, level-headed, and represented the real man I know and love. The decision to be a good sportsman in the moment caused Mike to be known as a gracious competitor, even when he lost. But the second thing Mike is known for is the slip-up on social media. In the heat of the battle with the San Antonio Spurs, Mike's beloved Dallas Mavericks were getting beaten in the playoffs. At a bar, with a few friends and maybe too much beer, he tweeted out a phrase that was derogatory and despicable. The fact that it was used regularly as an audio drop on the radio station he worked at then provided no excuse in the moment. Before public record existed online, it would have been set into the ether and gone away in a moment. But now, with thousands of followers to see it, Mike was responsible for the words in a new way. He was fired from his job and found himself a man without an island. Then he became known as someone else completely. One man, two choices, both with the potential to affect his life. One was made with intention, one a fleeting impulse. And still both are the kind that can mark a legacy. Thankfully, Mike knows how much his decisions matter. So he decided not to let that one remark ruin him. Since then, he's made a public apology to those he's hurt. He takes his role as a leader more seriously now and is much more likely to speak up when someone else is saying something unkind than he was before all of this. Not a day passes that Mike doesn't think about the importance of his words, especially the words he puts online. See, even when we choose the wrong decisions, they don't have to be wasted. Trust the process. So how do we prepare for these potentially momentous days if we don't even know when they are coming? How do we prepare for the decisions that will make or break us if we don't even know how to recognize them when they're happening? The answer isn't easy, but it is simple. You make an intentional decision to trust the process. Start there. Lean into the process that will help you become the good entrepreneur you want to be. Decide to trust that each step will help you get to where you want to go, and then go do it. What exactly is that process? Well, I think it's defined in five steps. First, win the morning. The time between when the sun comes up and when you first interact with technology is precious time. When we sleep, we enter a dream world full of possibilities. The moment we look at our calendar, 
social media, or email, we switch over to the pragmatic side of our brains and most likely lose our creative potential until the next day. That's why good entrepreneurs must decide to win the morning. When I wake up, I spend time meditating. I focus on what's happening in my mind. Once I've spent time reflecting on my thoughts, I open my journal, always moleskin, review my obituary, write down my daily mantra, and spend about 15 minutes writing, free of any other thoughts. This process, which takes about 30 minutes, is my rudder for the entire day. It sets me up to be as prepared as possible for the tasks at hand. Of course, to win the morning, you must decide to do so not just when you wake up, but when you go to sleep the night before. I try to get to bed at a sensible time and like to sleep with my blinds open so that I can rise with the sun. Think about what a win the morning would look like for you. Then make the decision to do it. Number two, think about the task at hand. Nick Saban, the head coach of the University of Alabama football team, is known for marching to the beat of his own drum. He doesn't worry about what other coaches are focused on. He just worries about the task at hand. He famously said to his team, don't think about winning the SEC championship. Don't think about the national championship. Think about what you need to do in this drill, in this play, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what we can do today. The task at hand. The decision to focus on the task at hand has taken his teams to six national championships. And those wins started with one decision. So how can you shift your thinking to do the same? Focusing on the task at hand, one choice at a time. Number three, establish boundaries. Having good boundaries is the key to healthy relationships. But the tricky thing about boundaries is that you cannot force others to establish them. You can only establish them yourself. You must decide to be the one who sets boundaries that work for you. Boundaries, by Henry Cloud and my friend John Townsend, has sold 2 million copies and continues to be a bestseller despite being released 30 years ago. That's because these guys hit a nerve. They tapped into the importance of boundaries. They share what it means for you to stand up and claim your own agency, regardless of the request from the other person. When you have good boundaries, you put yourself in a better position to make each day successful. Making the decision to establish solid boundaries with the people in your life will help you protect your time, energy, and resources. It will help you stay the course of the good entrepreneur. Number four, prepare. Don't hustle. There is a saying in the startup world that goes, the dream is free, the hustle is sold separately. I have seen this sign hung up in many offices I visited with friends and clients. I understand the sentiment of the phrase, but if I'm honest, I absolutely hate it. Because if you're making decisions that will help you get where you want to go, then you don't need to hustle nearly as much as you think you do. It's just like how in the corporate world, there is an inverse relationship between how hard you work and how much you get paid. The first-year associate at a consulting firm works much harder than the partner, but gets paid far less. Why is that? Because the experience of the partner makes them more efficient and valuable. Or at least it should. The more intentional you are in your decision-making, the more efficient you will be in your work. And the more efficient you are in your work, the less hustle your work will require. So prepare yourself now by looking at where you've come from in your journey where you are now, and where you want to be. Remove the need for hustle so that you can strategically make decisions to affect your long-term goals. Work smarter, not harder. Number five, 
do your job. I remember a phone call I had with my dad when I was in college. I wanted to drop a class that I wasn't doing well in because I was lazy, and he gave me a talking to from prison that I will never forget. Nick, you have a job to do, and that job is to do your best in school. I don't care what grade you get as long as you do your best. My job in here is to clean up the dumpster area behind the kitchen. You've never seen such a disgusting place in your life. But I made up my mind that if that was my job, I was going to make it the best. It would be the cleanest I could possibly make it. And it's so clean now that the other guys in the unit come out just to gawk at it. It doesn't matter what your job is. If it's to make lunches in the morning for your kids or file paperwork at the office or lead a team of people or clean the dumpster area in a prison, good entrepreneurs make the decision to do their jobs well. They do it to the best of their ability because they know that how they do the littlest job is how they're going to do the largest job. No matter what the task is, deciding to do it well is a key intentional decision for any good entrepreneur. The consequences you create. It's important to note here that although making intentional decisions is a huge piece of the puzzle of success, it's not a guarantee. In fact, as an entrepreneur facing new situations every day, the only guarantee is that you will have to manage consequences along the way. And honestly, some of them will be big ones. In my own life, I've made so many poor decisions that have led to negative consequences that it's hard to choose which one to share. The most recent bad decision came in the form of a Porsche 911 Turbo. I purchased the car and I made the most of the genius of the German engineers. Like a moron, I did it on a public road and was swiftly pulled over by a Texas state trooper. When I came to a stop, I rolled down my window to receive a healthy dose of reality. If it wasn't for COVID and me wanting to protect my family, I would haul you into jail, the officer said. My speeding had no excuse. Racing and beating an Audi R8 was dumb and immature and had put my life and that of others in jeopardy. After seeking and receiving counsel from my friends Scott and David, I returned home that night, thankful to have avoided a tragedy. I told Angela that I was selling the car, realizing I didn't need access to a car that fast. This day could have been one to determine my life's trajectory, but friends' counsel provided a safe landing. They helped me turn a bad decision into a better outcome. Good entrepreneurs know that just as quickly as one decision can break you, the next decision after that can repair you. Redemption The day after my friend Mike sent his infamous tweet, I was boarding a ferry in Washington when I called him to check in. He was being disciplined by the radio station and was heartbroken to have made such a bad decision. He recognized his error and vowed to never do it again. Through tears, he confessed his frustration, not because of the discipline from his employer, but rather because of the embarrassment and pain he had brought on his wife, children, parents, co-workers, and even those he didn't know who were hurt by his tweet. The Mike I knew was doing exactly what I have known him to do for the better part of two decades taking care of those he loved. While I sat on the ferry, passing by Bainbridge Island, Mike and I talked about how our worst decisions do not define us. They may be all that most people who do not love us will remember about us, but those who don't love us don't get to define us. We have to decide to lean into those who do love us because they're the ones who will hold us up. They're the ones who will point us toward redemption. Mike did exactly that. 
He found redemption in his story, and he has refused to let those days define him since. Those of us who love him hardly remember that day. For me, the most significant days of my life can be counted on one hand. The day I found out my father was arrested. The day nobody died after I stole a stop sign in high school. The day I almost died on I-70 in the Rocky Mountains. The day that I got a call from a baseball coach in Arkansas offering me a scholarship. The day I met Calvin Howe, you'll hear about him in chapter 6, my surrogate father. The day I gathered the courage to ask Angela out on a first date. The days my children were born. The day I met a billionaire who took me under his wing and mentored me. The day I got so frustrated with American Airlines that I decided to go for broke and create something better. The day my other surrogate father, Richard Hoffman, who you will hear about in chapter 12 allowed me to see the truth about myself and let me knock myself down after I had set myself up. I can say without a doubt, these moments changed the trajectory of my life. The decisions I made before and after each moment have helped take my life from the prison waiting room to a life of meaning. What would your most significant days be? Take some time to list them. The mark of the good entrepreneur is to live a life of meaning. To do that, we must make intentional decisions that get us there. We have to hold both the negative and positive consequences of our life together so we can learn, trust the process, and intentionally decide to keep going. Okay, so here's the end of chapter homework. The days that define us. Take out your journal, review the obituary that you wrote, and answer these questions. Number one. What are the days you mentioned in your obituary? Number two, what days that define you were left out of your obituary? Number three, what days that haven't happened yet will define your life? Number four, what would you change as you edit your obituary? Don't rush this process. Take some time and reflect on your life and the lives of the people whom you respect. Then go back to the obituary and update it with your new thoughts from this chapter.